in Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, and we're going to read in verse uh, 2 through to verse 4. Uh, 2 to 4. I want to just share in this time, kings rule territories. I want to keep the theme of a king going. It's actually quite a good picture for us to have in our mind, to have in our spirit. And uh, I want to just look at the thing of kings rule territories, and I want to do two things. One is uh, get you to think about and define what your territory is that God has entrusted you. Then we want to begin to activate ourselves in prayer, get praying strongly, and I want you to begin to ask the Holy Ghost to show you what in your territory needs to be addressed. And uh, because if you're the king and it's your territory, you could do something about it. A lot of people today live with a victim mentality. Victim mentality means it's not my fault, I'm powerless. Life is, you know, it's, it's someone else who's caused the problem, someone else is going to have to fix it. So a victim mentality is a way of thinking about life. It is completely opposite to a kingly mentality. A victim mentality, the person refuses responsibility, puts the blame somewhere else, gets disempowered totally, and is waiting for someone somewhere to do something to change their life. And the result is the person remains disempowered. This is not how believers are to live and to, and, and to carry our lives. We're called to be kings. Kings actually have commissions, they have a mandate, they have a territory, they have something you're going to rule over, something you're going to in influence. I want you to just see, first of all, we're going to have a look at is uh, the, the fact that uh, of territories. And you're going to see this right through the Bible. A territory is a geogra geographical area. So when we look at the Bible, what does a territory mean? And then we're going to look at a few examples of it. A territory is some geographical area. So it's usually a piece of land, it's a defined area, and uh, it's under the jurisdiction of someone. Someone is in charge. So if you buy a piece of property, it's your property, you are in charge. If it's an overgrown, weed-infested property, it's your property that's overgrown and weed-infested. If it's cultivated and becomes a great property and productive property, it's because you have had dominion over that territory and made it produce. It doesn't just happen. And so territory is a realm you're responsible for. So when we're thinking of a territory you have as a king, territory for you is anything God has entrusted responsibility to you for. What has God given you responsibility for? That's the realm you're responsible for. Could be a uh, could be property, could be finances, could be a whole range of things. We'll try and identify it just in a moment. But you notice in Joshua chapter one that God usually defines territory. Why? He wants you to know very clearly what it is you're responsible for, and that you have a job to do in that territory. People I found are always wanting a bigger territory. They're wanting promotion, enlargement, and don't manage what they have well. The person who manages what they have well and makes it productive is the one that should be promoted. Interestingly, in the Bible, if you look in Matthew chapter 25 at the parable of the talents, here's the terribly unjust way a king in our kingdom acts. He takes from the man who has one and gives to the man who has ten. It's a hard pill to swallow that one, isn't it? But that's actually the kingdom of heaven. So why does God operate that way? Oh, it's real simple. Because if someone is unproductive with something, it's actually better stewardship to take it from him and give it to the one who's really productive because he will make it productive. And so if we were to take all the resources away and level everyone off, so they've all got the same, probably within a year to two years, it'll all have changed back again. Very simply. It's an issue of kingship and stewardship and whatever. So notice in Joshua chapter 1, he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. The old season is over. And when seasons change, spiritually or naturally, he says, now arise, go over Jordan, or you and all this people in the land I'm giving them, the children of Israel. So you notice Joshua is getting a word. God is speaking a word prophetically. The season you've had is over. It's a fresh season. So in a fresh season, you need to make some decisions. You need to arise inside to meet the fresh challenges. You imagine for, for Joshua, he'd been very comfortable under someone else's leadership for years. Moses was a mighty man of God. And he was legend in his lifetime. And he'd led people out of the promised land, out, out, of the, uh, out of Egypt, great miracles, led him through wilderness. Now he's dead. And God says, he's dead. It's a very short statement. Moses, my servant, is dead. There are sometimes you need a clear statement from God, that's finished. That old thing is over. You're about to enter a change in season. And I like it. You know, they've just had a grieving memorial service for 30 days, and he still says, Moses is dead. Now, why would you say a thing like Moses is dead when you've just had a funeral service for 30 days? Very simply, he's saying it's time to let go and move on. Sometimes our problem in moving on and making changes is we're soul attached to 
things from the past. Things that were successful, things that are now dead, things that are no longer working, and our heart is bonded to them, and God wants you to actually make the decision, let go, so you can move into new things. And uh, so he says, most of my servant is dead. Now I want you to arise, and every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given you as I said to Moses. In other words, you must take initiative. From the wilderness of Lebanon, as far as the great river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, great sea towards the going under the sun, shall be your territory. So God clearly defines the territory. He said, this is what I've given you. Of course, if we were to take that and put it on the world map now, we will have a big problem. Uh, <laughs> but it's still said in the Bible, that's your territory. So God defined for him what was his and expected him as a king to arise and go in. And you notice in the territory, God said it's his. In other words, God gave him a vision and a dream, very well defined, very clear. He said it belongs to you. However, the unfortunate thing is about there were giants in there and problems and wall cities. There were actual things to address in that place. So whatever vision, whatever dream, whatever God's given to you, he wants you to clearly define it. Now, right through the Bible, people become very clear in defining what their territory was. In Matthew 15, 24, Jesus knew his territory. He knew exactly what his assignment was. He knew exactly what he was responsible for, and he was reluctant and resisted going out beyond that. So when someone came from somewhere else, he initially was hesitant to minister to them, and she persisted, and finally her faith gave her access to what uh, was being given to the Gentile, to the uh, Jews. So uh, Paul knew his territory. In Acts 9 verse 15, he says, I've been sent to the Gentiles. Now, it doesn't seem right because he was trained in the law. If anyone should have been sent to the Jews, it would be Paul. He said, nope, God sent me to the Gentiles. So he knew exactly where his mission field was. Uh, on the way to the Gentiles, God spoke to him, forbade him to go to some areas, directed him to go to others. So you see many times in the Bible, very clear definition around what the territory was. And I believe we need to be clear about it as well. In 2 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul says, he says that uh, I have been given a measure of authority that extends to you. And he says, and I don't go beyond what's given to me. So in other words, Paul was very, very aware what his territory was. So what is the territory God has given you responsibility for? Where is your kingship to be exercised? And then we'll look a little bit at how to do that. So where are you to exercise your kingship? What has God given you responsibility for? Go on, think about it. Because the thing is, if you haven't actually put your hand up and owned it, it is probably out of control and someone else is ruling it without you knowing. Think about that. There's what we see, then there's the unseen. And if we don't actually consciously assert our dominion, and bring what God wants into the area we can see, there will be other things operating that we're not aware of. Uh, as I'll teach you a little bit later how to stand up and address the spirit world and begin to speak into it, I tell you now, if you didn't know there was something there, when you start to speak to it, you'll find out. And uh, you start to address it, you will find out all right. And uh, it always seems to follow the same kind of pattern when you do it. So I'm wanting you at this point in this session to identify what your territory is. Later on we'll ask you to uh, look at it and decide where you need to give it some attention. So what would be your territory? Okay, uh, anyone forthcoming with some ideas or thoughts about what your territory will be? Your family, yes, exactly. Family, your family is your territory. Okay, what else? Your workplace is your territory, exactly. Yourself, that's the first one, is yourself. If you're out of control and you can't rule yourself, how can you actually rule anything? If you're a mess, how can you actually affect anything for good? You're the problem. So number one I would put down is yourself. And that's your and yourself is made up of spiritual dimension, a, uh, a mental or a thought, your whole thought life, your emotions, that whole heart area, your attitudes, and actually your physical body. If you're letting your physical body go, you'll die early. It's not a good way to have a productive life. So those are all, so those are all things about yourself. You are responsible to govern. If you don't govern your thoughts, your thoughts will take you where you don't want to go. If you don't govern your eating, then your eating will make you bigger than you really want to be. And uh, you'll have no one to blame but yourself. See? A bigger influence, you reckon. That's right. <laughs> 
and if you don't deal with your emotions, uh, and, that, and governing your emotions is not about controlling them, it's about allowing them to flow in the way God intended. And uh, so, uh, what's the number? So we've got, uh, what about your spouse? Do they come under that? Is it part of your territory or not? Sort of. This is, I can feel the fear. I can feel the fear. <laughs> All right, let me give you, I can give you a scripture. The husband is the head of the wife. That's Christ is the head of the church. So is the church Jesus' territory? So your wife is yours. So you're responsible. Oh, you see, you're all worrying about it. See, this is really, we've got some problems here <laughs> already. Because <laughs> you've just abandoned. She's going to look after herself. She's a Christian. She can pray for herself. No, 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 no. Very clearly, if Christ said the man is the head of the wife, he's saying your kingship extends over your marriage as well as over your family. You see, this, if you don't define it, something will rule it that you don't want to be there. And demons don't sort of turn up and announce, hey, listen, since you're a slacker, I'm taking charge. They just don't do that. It's just by the fruit you discover that you actually have spiritual influences at work and they're messing up your marriage, your family, your finance, every part of your life. You just have been asleep and hadn't seen it. And so there's a whole number of ways you can get a wake-up call. When your wife walks out and says, I'm leaving, that's a wake-up call, you know, when the bank says there's no more money and we're closing you down, that is a wake-up call. We would hope we wouldn't be so asleep it would get to that. But it does for some people because they're just not wanting to be awake and take responsibility and tend to their kingdom. Remember, it's a servant kingdom, not just a bossing them around telling what to do. You'd soon find they'll treat you like they treat it with your bum. We're out of here. <laughs> okay then, so you've got your yourself, your spouse, your family, what else? Your workplace? Yeah, what else? Finances, yeah, that's a big one. Manage the finances, that's right. So for those men who've just trusted, handed it over to their wife and haven't got a clue, they just get pocket money. You're still a boy, you haven't grown up, become a king. You're a king, but you just haven't stood up yet. You're asleep. <laughs> we have some who do that. I had one man and he actually told me that's how it was all operating. And uh, I thought, oh my goodness, where do we start? Well, I decided not to start there because uh, there were much deeper <laughs> issues at stake. But basically, he's acting like a boy, got pocket money, hand his wage over every week, and just got pocket money from his wife. This is totally out of order. Totally out of order and represents immaturity and irresponsibility on his part. I think, yeah, that's all part of the financial area, bringing it to order. Okay, so, you're, so if, if you have a ministry entrustment or responsibility then that is an area that you're called to step up and bring it into divine order. Uh, and I, I believe also our neighborhood. Now, the neighborhood may not be geographical. Your neighborhood are the people in your vicinity. So it could be those uh, in the areas you have activities, have friendships. If we were just to call it your circles of friends and connections, probably that's your neighborhood. Most neighborhoods are not very much geographical as much as they are relational now. So your relational neighborhood is an area. And then I believe that God gives us a mandate that wherever we are, we are to advance his kingdom. So whoever you're meeting, that's an area where God has called you to bring an influence and advance of the kingdom. But if we don't think that way, we'll never assume responsibility. Think about this. The Great Commission, was it just given to a handful of apostles or to every believer? Not sure about that one. Well, of course, if it's every believer, that means every believer, doesn't it? If it's every believer, it means you. So that means what, what part, wh what have I decided to do or how am I in my heart embracing that I have a call to advance the kingdom of God around me to the people around me? That's what a king would be thinking like. So then when you're interacting with people, even in a business level, you are thinking not just at a business level, you're also thinking at advancing the kingdom of God level. So you're operating in sound business principles and that means you don't violate kingdom values. Dishonesty, abusing people, uh, holding up payments, that kind of deal. You're, you're thinking how to bring kingdom principles into your transactions with unsaved people because this is a way of advancing the kingdom. So when you think like a king, you'll think different about everything. The biggest problem Christians have, one of the big problems Christians have today is we just think church. And we don't think kingdom. Kingdom is 24-7. Church is a couple hours on Sunday. 
church we gather together, so that's church assemble, then we're the church dispersed or called to advance the kingdom, and it's advancing the kingdom that's the issue. In the thinking now? So what is your territory? Okay, then now, here's the thing. If you don't arise, assume responsibility, and consciously or intentionally bring influence into your territory, then someone else or something else will. It's just as simple as that. You have a, most obvious thing is a garden. If you don't tend to your garden, eventually the weeds take over. So for most people who are gardeners, it's a battle between the weeds and us. And will we have dominion and make it produce fruit and get stuff out of vegetables out of the garden, or will we end up like I had to do and mow it and just get rid of the whole thing? <laughs> it was full of that pretty plant exalus, you know, horrible. So here's the first thing you need to do. Since kings have territory, the first thing that you and I should do as a king is identify very clearly our territory. Even cats do that. They go and you know, and they'll mark their territory out, you know, and uh, they do that. Dogs will do the same thing, and then anything goes into their territory, you know, like that, you know, and they start to bark at you and carry on. So they are very territorial. They know their territory, and anything that looks hostile, they're ready to go. So it would, one of the first things it would help you to do is identify your territory and begin to think, what condition is my territory in right now? Am I intentionally governing it and developing it and protecting it, or am I just letting it all just go to pieces? Just think about that. See, your life, no one can give account for your life but you. Therefore, your personal life, if that's not right, everything around you is going to mess up. It says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So whatever's going on in your inner life will reflect out into all of your outer world in some way or form. So governing yourself is the first step to being able to govern over other things and eventually bringing our influence out to the community where we, we begin to touch people for Christ. Think about that. Many people have turned off Christ not because they're not spiritually hungry or because they don't want Christ or answers. It's just their experience with Christians has led them to think, this is not helpful for my life. In other words, the way a Christian has run their life has presented such a bad testimony, they're not attracted to them or to that church. They want the reality that Christ can give. People everywhere need a reality that Christ can give. So, so governing or so acting as a king in the earth means I need to carry myself in a way that clearly represents the kingdom. So people can't look and say, hear what you're saying, but your life's a mess. I don't want anything to do with you. So if we're thinking of advancing the kingdom of God, it starts with me. So here's the first thing. What's going on in your life, in your thought life, your spiritual life, your emotional life, your attitudes, and even in physically looking out for yourself? Uh, it's interesting. We were talking to some, of the, uh, some people in uh, another country in Europe. And in Europe, they, they drink wine quite regularly. And, uh, and, of course, there was a contention with the Americans and who were non-wine drinkers. And so the Americans were going hostile at these uh, backslidden uh, European Christians for drinking wine. They said, well, wine is a part of our culture. We don't drink to get drunk. We remain moderate in what we have. But we observe that you Americans overeat. And you're, you're at us about our wine, but not saying anything about your overeating. To us, you have the problem, not us. You see that? So it's like people can kind of, we've got to look at our own life and get our own life in order. Okay then, so, so what's your territory? So you're the one who's responsible for it. So what is a king required to do? To at least two things, at least two things. One is govern the territory, govern the territory. In other words, govern the territory. That means binding and loosing or dealing with any spiritual influence. Spiritual influences are real, are real. so therefore get into prayer. Whatever's your territory, it's a place for you to occupy in prayer, first of all. Praying the will of God, calling the will of God into being, speaking blessing over it, speaking the word of God over it, and uh, standing against any spiritual influences that come against you. We, there are real spiritual influences. You, can, you have the power to shut them down. People complain about demonic influences. I say, you're given authority to shut them down. Just go to it and do your business. Stop talking about it. You speak to them and shut them down. 
show you they'll do that just shortly. So the first thing is spiritually governed. Adam was called to guard the garden. That meant spiritually be observant and watchful and shut down any demonic operations in his garden. He failed to do that. Second thing is we're called to cultivate it. That requires planning and taking action to grow the area that's your territory. So if you've got finances, no use just praying about it. You need to pray and to plan and take action to grow your financial base. And there's a whole number of practical strategies to do that. But the thing is, your money is very spiritual. Yeah, there's a power gets behind money. You know, you can't serve God and mammon. There's a spirit behind the thing, and that spirit is to draw you into debt. I think of anything that would be an eye-opener for us now is to realize that most of the world is deeply in debt and hasn't got a clue how to get out of it. I'm wondering who are they in debt to and where is all the money come from? But something's going on behind it all. There's obviously a spiritual power works behind it. So getting your life in order. So number one, spiritually govern it. So we'll show you how to get some prayer going on some of those areas. We'll do that shortly. And secondly, cultivate it. So you need a plan so that you can begin to grow and develop your area. So if you've never been very good in finances, there may well be spiritual things that, that block your finances growing. Now, I'm not talking over spiritual. I'll give you an example. I have one young man I spoke to, and he was having trouble growing his financial base. I said, why is that? He said, well, uh, I, I, I've got a pattern of just spending it or giving it away or whatever. I said, why is that? He said, I don't know. And we explored it, and we found out here's what it was. Didn't get This is extraordinary. You'd never think this was the problem. But the problem was spiritual. His father, when he was growing up, just preoccupied his whole life in business and money making. And the son was deeply hurt and rejected by the father's preoccupying himself with money and never there available for his son. He felt rejected. And in his heart, he made an inner vow, well, money is bad. I'm never going to make money a pursuit of my life. Now, you understand, that's at the age of about six and seven, he said that. At the age of 26, 27, He's got a belief system, money's bad. So, of course, as soon as there's money, he gets rid of it. He had no idea what was driving the inability to accumulate money and to grow finances and to deal with debt. That there was a spirit root behind it that went right back into his family background. And many people we have found that have got problems financially, got spiritual roots underneath them of issues about money that has a f is continuing to drive the outworking of the finances in their life. Oh, it got real quiet now, isn't it? Probably someone else I'm talking about anyway. So, so we need to spiritually govern, which means to address in prayer the things that need to be addressed. And usually spiritually governing means two sides. One is shutting down any demonic operation. Two, decreeing and speaking the word of God. And then we've got to have a plan for how do we cultivate what we do and, uh, and to grow it. So in, in always there's a contention for the area you want to build. There's always a contention. In Exodus 23 verse 30 to 33, God spoke this. And this applies to any territory, and these are the, particularly the territories that you've got to uh, work with. Notice what he says here. He said, I've given you the territory. <laughs> I've given it into your hands. Notice what he says here. He said, uh, verse 30, little by little I'll drive them out from you until you've increased and inherit the land. I will set your bounds from the Red Sea to the Sea of Philistia, to the desert, to the river, and I'll deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand. You will drive them out before, them, before you. Now notice this. He says, it's going to be a progress little by little. So don't have a mentality of waiting for a big breakthrough. The Bible tells you big breakthroughs are great, but my experience of watching people with big breakthroughs is like people waiting for lotto. It either never comes, or when it comes, it's squandered. So people have a big breakthrough, but three weeks later, they're doing the same they were doing before. So adopt the pattern little by little. So set goals for little steps for growing your areas. Write them down. Set them out. Be practical in this matter. And uh, little by little, he said, notice he said, uh, he said, I'll do it and, and until you increase. And he said, I'll set your bounds. And one of the things he uh, made it very clear is that he says it'll happen little by little because otherwise it becomes beyond your capacity to manage it. So God gave them the land little by little. And I've observed if you can't grow little by little, you probably don't have the capacity to manage anything bigger. I've seen many people over the years wanting something big but can't grow little by little by little by little. 
we had a, uh, I had a, gr- a while ago, I was um, leading uh, a movement of churches here in New Zealand, and we were having quite a bit of trouble with the church planting, and some of the people being sent out uh, from this other country were, um, were quite inadequately prepared. So in the end I said, can I ask them questions before they come out? They said, what do you want to ask? I said, look, if I can just have a chance to talk to them for 15 minutes, I'll be able to help them make a decision whether they should come and plant a church in New Zealand. And uh, so they said, okay. And so here's what I asked them. Where did you last work? What reputation did you have in your workplace? Were you successful in your workplace? Did you value your boss? Did you appreciate being there? And were you productive there? Were they sorry to see you go? Number one, workplace. I said, what about, have you ever led anyone to Christ? Have you ever discipled a believer so they followed up and they grow and they stand up and they begin to walk with God? Have you ever set up a small group and developed and grown a small group? Have you ever multiplied a leader in that group so that uh, someone else was productive? And when they said no to most of those, and then the other thing I asked is about their financial base, have you accumulated a financial base? Now, it was extraordinary that most people had no to most of those things. I said, why would you come to a foreign country to start a church? What are you thinking? Well, it's grandiose thinking. It's not spiritual or practical thinking. I said, do those things first, and then you're on the way. You understand? These things are very, very, Jesus said, little by little. Everything is little by little. Every month, little by little. And so there's a territory you've got to take over, but in order to do it, little by little. So you win souls little by little. You know, great crowds, our experience with great crowds coming to Christ is they don't last, they don't stay, and the conversions are not deep. But the ones that come one by one through relationships, someone talking with them, sharing with them, working with them, those are the ones that come and stay and stick and get grown. Any idea? Okay then. So, governing your area means, one, spiritually influencing it, two, practically influencing it. So, it's no use just praying all about it and doing nothing, but it's no use just doing things and not dealing with spiritual issues. Just try to keep both in mind. So, I want to just focus now just on some things to do spiritually, because I found most Christians don't do it, and yet it's the most powerful way of shifting yourself and everything you've got your hand on. It is so powerful, and it's a God-given way. So, I'm just going to spend a little bit of time on that, then we're going to get you praying, okay? So, the first, the, the first thing, the next thing I want to look at then is just the creative power of words. Creative power words. Everything that we see that God has brought into being came about because of thoughts and words. They seem very little, but if you think about it, all of creation didn't just turn up. It came from the realm of the Spirit. So it was present in some way there or form. And when God spoke words, that's what caused things to come from the Spirit world and manifest naturally. Now think about how miracles happen. Always someone speaks and the healing comes from the spirit world and manifests in the real world. You get a breakthrough of some kind. All miracles in the Bible, you notice uh, the, the one factor that's very common is that someone heard God and spoke what God said, and when they spoke what God said, strongly and assertively, something happened. I was in one place, and we were praying for a whole group of guys, and someone called me up and said, well, I don't want you to pray for me loudly, I want you to pray for me quietly. I thought, well, I pray for you quietly, and I don't think anything's going to happen. Because he had no concept at all of the whole realm of strength, of utterance and decree from the spirit world. None whatsoever. And so he didn't understand that when you arise in your spirit and speak the word of God, that word can manifest and bring changes into your circumstances around you. Particularly, it affects the spirit world around you. And uh, I have seen this over and over and over. Now, the thing is that there is a power to create with your words. First, re- first representation in the Bible of God speaking, he created something. How did he do it? He dreamed it, he thought about it, he believed it, and he spoke, let there be. And we're called to be like him. So therefore, we need to dream about things, hear from God about things, speak into our environment. So whatever territory you have, there's one thing you should be doing in, and that is speaking into it. I know you've got to do practical things as well, but I'm talking about addressing a spiritual dimension around it. Many people don't think it's there. And so demons exist, demons have havoc, demons resist them, demons create problems, and they haven't got a clue why it's like that, but they haven't addressed that area. And it's quite simple to address, very, very easy. So we need to learn to speak words. See? So you're a spirit being, you have a power to frame your world with words. 
You have the power to shift your world with the words you speak. But you've got to exercise the power. You've got to do it. Now, there's many examples of that. Let me give you in Job 22, verse 28. It says, talking about when people are rightly around here with God, it says, you shall decree something. Let there be. Let the angel of the Lord go forth. Let the power of God flow. And something happens. That's how we intend to do it. Look at all the miracles Jesus did. Spoke commands or decrees. That's how it all happened. And that's the way that Jesus modeled it. So later on, you find Peter doing exactly the same as Jesus did. Silver and gold have I none, such as I have I give you. Now listen to it. In the name of Jesus Christ, arise! And suddenly a man who can't walk stands up and he's healed. Now most people see the miracle and they can't see it. How did the miracle happen? Someone was connected to God so you notice he said, I have it. In other words, he already had a belief in his heart. He had faith in his heart, and he spoke it out. You have to learn to speak. Have to learn to speak. We have to learn to speak. We have to learn to speak. Speaking is how things are created. Now, I know there's a doing side as well, but spiritually speaking. So in Joshua 6, verse 20, he spoke. He said, no one will build this place again, except it cost them the life of their children. Hundreds of years later, God tries to build it, and his children die. See, that's, see something, there's something real about these things. There's a spirit dimension. Numbers 14, 28, God said to them, what you've talked about in my ears is what will happen to your life. And they missed their moment and lost their destiny. Why? Because it's what they spoke. It's what they spoke. Your speaking reveals your heart. Out of your heart is what you say. Ezekiel 37, God showed him a hopeless situation. He said he saw a whole valley full of dry bones. Very, very many bones and very, very dry bones. And God said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go there like a jigsaw and piece them all together again. Let me say that. He said, I want you to speak, prophesy into your own area. Prophesy into that valley. And when he prophesied, God began to move. And when he spoke again, life came into them. Now, these things are not written for nothing. They're written not just as a story, but for you to get insight that spiritual realities manifest in the natural through speaking. You have to learn to speak. Speak, declare, decree, forbid. Use the language of the Spirit. That's how God operates. In Matthew 14 and verse 19 to 20, Jesus is faced with a huge problem he can't, he can't solve. The problem is very simple. 5,000 people, five loaves of fish. Five loaves of bread, two, two fish. It's impossible to meet the need unless the resources of heaven open up. So what did he do? It says he looked up to heaven. He looked to see and engage the realm of the Spirit. Then he blessed or spoke words. And after that, as they started to act it out, the supernatural power of God began to flow. This is how it works. Throughout the Bible, this is how it works. We've got to learn to do this. It's such an obvious thing. In, uh, in Daniel, chapter 10 and verse 12, uh, Daniel has had it in his heart. God's shown him something's about to come. So what does he do? He begins to set himself to prayer and fasting. And the angel came after 21 days and said, I wanted to come earlier, but I was resisted by spiritual forces. Now, angels were designed by God that when God's word is spoken, they would implement the vision. The fallen angels resist God's word being spoken. They resist you speaking it, and they resist it coming about. But Daniel persevered 21 days, nothing blank, nothing happening. He just persisted, persisted, persisted. Suddenly, boosh, there's a change. He broke through the demonic resistance. And so I have found as a matter of course, if people are wanting a breakthrough, set a 21-day period to pray, fast, and speak into the spirit world, something will break out for sure. Absolutely will break out. Something changes, something shifts, even if you find things in your own life that you need to deal with. See, so we need to develop a royal mindset and learn to speak into our environment, speak into the territory, speak into the area you're responsible for, shut down any demonic operations, and speak blessing over it. Bless your life. 
Today, I present my body a living sacrifice. Today, Father, I yield my spirit. I thank you your spirit is quickening my spirit. I thank you my intuition is sharp and sensitive. Thank you today. I communion, my sensitivity to your voice is very, very clear. I yield to you my soul. Lord, I yield my mind today. I thank you, Lord. My mind is full of the thoughts of God. I resist every negative thought, every unclean thought. I resist thoughts contrary to your word. I speak today. My mind is clear and full of the mind of the Spirit. Thank you today. I see clearly what you are doing and fulfill your course for my life. Thank you, Lord. My ears hear your voice clearly. I instantly obey today. Thank you, Lord, today. The words I speak are filling the atmosphere with life and making room for your Spirit to move. I thank you, Lord, today. Your Spirit is filling every part of my body. I can see when I get locked in around that, my whole inner life changes. Everything around me changes. That's, that's, without it. that's just getting me in the right place first. In other words, first territory, me. Every part right before God, aligned before God, in the presence of God, then ready to speak and take dominion over the other territories. But then you've got, you start to think of each of your territories. You get over, so you get into prayer, strongly in tongues. Now, of course, you're in the spirit. You're alive and alert now. Now you can begin to pray. So you begin to go systematically through the areas. One, your marriage. So as you begin to look at your wife in the spirit, begin to imagine and picture her, begin to pray in tongues, begin to speak blessing. Bless your wife. Speak good over her life. Speak joy. Speak love. Speak kindness. Speak gentleness over her life. Begin to speak and release the things over her life, over your children. Hedge them about. And as you're praying, keep focused and sensitive. If God would show you something, sometimes you become aware of things. I, was, um, I, I just spoke to someone after prayer meeting the other night. He said, how are you doing? He said, fine. I said, no, you're not. He said, how do you know? I said, because I know, because I care about you, because I see you, and I've seen you, and I can tell that you are not right, and your wife's not very good either. She's looking like she's oppressed. So he didn't say a word. He came back to me after he said, actually, I'm not doing too good at all. You understand, when you become energized in the Spirit, you'll see differently. You'll see everything differently. Things will happen differently for you because you're consciously standing up like a king to engage the realm of heaven and to start to assert dominion into the earth around the areas that you need to assert dominion. Calling work in, calling finances in, speaking enlargement, speaking release, speaking blessing, speaking prosperity. You've got to see it in the spirit and be declaring it before it's going to outwork in your life. This is how the kingdom dimension works. So kings must arise as a king before the king of kings waiting for instructions and directions. So the process is one to arise in your spirit strongly in prayer, engaging the Lord with strong prayer, strong tongue, strong praise, strong worship, becoming aware of the things you want. Present yourself to Him. Each part of your life, present to Him. And I go through it, my spirit, then each part of my soul, then my body, every part of my body, and I declare the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells within my body, quickening my blood system and circulation. So I'm expecting to live long and have great health. Because I'd speak over every part of my body. The health of the, the resurrection power of Christ is making me full of life and energy and fire and healthy. Circulation, digestive system, nervous system, brains, the organs of the body, every part of me functioning because the power of God is filling me with life. And why not? I take that scripture that the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells within you and quickens, makes alive, energizes your physical body. If that's the truth and I hold it and speak it, I would expect the power of God to begin to energize me. And so I have a lot more energy than a lot of younger people. And it's not just an accident. I say, how do you work? Do you work out? What do you do to your workout? I say, well, I don't do anything. Breathe in and out and pray a bit and cast out demons. They say, you don't work out? No, no, I don't work out. I've got my own workout. It's in prayer. It'll take a bit of grunt out of you and strength to do that kind of stuff. It'll work you out well. See? So you have to learn as a king. You've got to stand up as a king. And kings make decrees. I saw the 
the guy in charge of Syria. He made a decree. Thought that's exactly it. That's what kings do. They decree. It shall be so. See? Today, my life is blessed. I am blessed as I go out. Today, I carry the blessing of the Almighty. Wherever I go, the love of Christ flows out of me, touching people, welcoming them, accepting them, loving them, embracing them. You've got to speak it over your life. Speak out what will be. And if you'll stay in there and keep doing that, after a while, it doesn't become awkward. It becomes natural, and you get so into it that actually it becomes natural for it to flow around your life. I, I must admit, I'm doing it a bit better now than I was before. Get knocked around a bit in the battles of life, and sometimes you lose that grunty thing. But I believe it's time for kings to arise. It's time to wake up the mighty men. You've got it in you. You just, if the devil can keep you so you don't wake up, then you won't wake up. You'll just live in a low level. You'll be firing on two cylinders instead of a good throaty V8, 350 V8 with a supercharger on the thing. You know, and I hear those things. They've got a sound of their own. Something saying, that's where a lot of people are, you know, they're spluttering down the road, trying to make ends meet and come and pray for me, Pastor. Instead of being men, the mighty men of God, rising on the inside with the same spirit that was in Jesus, you know, the same line in him is in you. Why doesn't he roar out of you? The Bible says he will roar out of Zion. Now, that's the church. How will he roar out of Zion? Well, something must have, lion's roar must come up. You've got to learn to express it. Oh, it's not me. No, you've accepted being asleep for all your life. Change. Learn what it is to break the stuff off your life. Why don't we just get up now, shake ourselves, and let's just pray for a few minutes, then we'll have our morning. What time's our afternoon tea? It's about 10 minutes. We've got 10 minutes to stir up then, eh? 10 minutes to stir up. Now, come on, let's get out of our seats, because you're getting in the seat, you'll just hide behind the seat, and you won't do anything. So I want you to get up, and we're going to get going and get praying. Let's get ourselves stirred up. I'm going to give you a few things just to get you going. Okay. Now, the first thing is, uh, sitting around too long, all your energy goes. So by that now, you're tired out. And you see me getting more excited and full of energy, and you get more and more tired. So just start to move your body. Shake your body. Shake your body. Then we're going to begin to pray in tongues in a moment. Just begin to shake your body. Just a very active shaking your body. Says, come on, body, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. Stopping so old. Stopping so tired. Yeah, come alive. Come alive, body. Come alive, body. That's right. Just shake yourself up. There you go. Now start to pray in tongues as well as shaking your body. Come on, come on, let's hear you. Let's hear you pray now. Okay, just stop. Just stop for a moment. Now, what I want you to do is to feel what happens in your body as you begin to consciously decide you're going to pray in tongues. And as you're praying in tongues, because most people just, just bellow in tongues, but you need to engage every part of you in it. So what it, what it helps to do is decide when you're praying in tongues where the direction of your prayer is going. The Bible says when we pray in tongues, we speak to God. So one thing we can do is speak to God. We praise and thank and bless Him. Another way thing we can do with tongues, when a person prays in tongues, they build up their spirit man. So another thing I can do is consciously pray to build my spirit man. It says when a person prays in tongues, he speaks the mysteries of the kingdom. So I can begin to speak and declare God's will over my life. So there's three different expressions straight away of what we can do with tongues. So here's the first one. We're going to get you to pray. And I want you to be conscious that as you are speaking the Word of God, as you're speaking words the Holy Ghost gives you, your spirit man is arising. I want you to let your spirit arise inside. Call it the roar of the lion come out from inside you. If you want to shake your body, you can. But just get praying strongly till you feel a strong flow of the Holy Ghost in you. You ready? Come on, let's pray now. That's right. Come on, move your body. 
Shake yourself. Get stirred up inside. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, just stop. Now, how many feeling like you're starting to energize or power up just a little bit now? You start to feel that. All right, then this time I want to do something different. The Bible says, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. I want you just for a moment just to begin to meditate on the victory that Christ has won. Fix your mind on something that's inspiring. Fix your mind on him. And there he is. He's our king. The Bible says you come as a king, a mighty king to judge and wage war. Begin to see him. He's on the, on the white horse, garments of white, stained in red blood, a sword of the Lord upon him. And here he is. He is our king. Are we ready? On the count of three, we'll clap and shout to him. One, two, three. Yes. Hallelujah. There's a roar in Zion, a roar in the house. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Lord. They can feel as you just make decisions to do it, the atmosphere around you shifts. And often it doesn't take more than about two minutes in strong praying in tongues one minute or half a minute of clapping and shouting, and then we're going to pray. And this time as you pray, I want you to begin to consciously be thanking and worshiping God. So you may slip in and out of English and tongues, but the whole flow is you're beginning to see yourself standing before that King of Kings. You yourself are a king. You're before the King of Kings, and you're standing to praise Him and exalt Him and thank Him. So just let gratitude, let honor, let thanksgiving rise up inside you, and let's begin to focus our attention on Jesus Christ, speaking in tongues and honoring Him with that language. Are we ready? One, two, three. Come on, let's pray. Lord, we come into your presence. We stand before you, the King of Kings. We stand before you and honor you today. We love you, Lord. We honor you, Lord. Stop. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And he tells us, come boldly. So we come boldly. Oh, well, I didn't do too good. Okay, still come boldly. Come boldly and confess and repent and declare you're forgiven and stand up boldly. Okay? Well, I haven't been doing so good. That's no, okay. The Bible says come boldly. Don't come with your tail between your legs. Come boldly, strongly, confidently. You need to repent, repent boldly. Okay? You need to ask for God forgiveness, ask forgiveness boldly. Competently. Okay? The, the, it's already been paid for you. Sometimes I've just said this, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Though we fall, though we fall, he shall not remain utterly down, for the Lord lifts him up. I thank you, Lord, today you lift me up by your Spirit. I come back to my place before you, and I honor you and bless you. Yet there's, a, there's an assertion in the Spirit, because one of the main weapons the devil uses is condemnation and judgment against you, to make you feel because you haven't performed, therefore you can't be near God. So you've got to actually, your basis for coming to God is what he has done for us. So we have to come very strongly by the blood, strongly with praise and thanksgiving, like the Bible says to do. We enter his presence by the blood of the Lamb, and we come boldly into his presence, and we come with praise and thanksgiving. The Bible declares how to do it. So don't come up with your own idea. Come the way God says in his word to do it, because it has great results, great results. Thank you, Lord. So just, why don't you just lift your hands up to the Lord right now. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to speak to us about the condition of our territories. 
I ask you, Lord, to begin to speak to us about our personal life, thought life, life in prayer, in the Word of God, emotional life. Attitude. Ask you, Lord, to speak to us about the areas we've let our territory suffer neglect. And now spirits are entrenched and attitudes are entrenched and behaviors are entrenched. And we need to arise to confront them and put them off. Bring our marriages where we're married, bring that before you. Lord, show us if there's area in our marriage where there's been indifference or emotional distance or lack of kindness. Areas that we need to tend to. Bring our finances to you, Lord. Other areas of stress and pressure, things we've neglected, not wanted to look at, things we've covered, hidden, areas we need to tend to. Bring to our workplace. Lord, what is our attitude like in our workplace? We're full of gratitude and praise and thanksgiving. We're looking forward to going there and putting in a good day's work of serving people, of honoring people, of bringing your presence to work. Or are we got problems and our heart is ungoverned? We're allowing things to come in that are very negative and destructive. We may have hidden them from people, but we can't hide them from you or the reality. They'll flow out of our heart somehow. Bring before you, Lord, out in neighborhood those people that we connect with. Lord, have we sought to build connections, cultivate love and interest in people, reach them with the gospel of Jesus? Or do we just go past them, neglect them? Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Father, I thank you for many kings here today. Father, I pray before the day's out, every king will know what part of their territory they need to address and exactly how to deal with it. Thank you for one another. And just reach out to someone near to you and just pray for God's grace to come on them and for vision to come. Prophetic vision of their territory and what it could be, what could happen, how they could, uh, what they can do to make shifts in it. 